Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. The delicious conversation starts right here and right now. Every weekend, we continue our celebration of food and the role it plays in all of our lives. I hope that you'll tune in every week to explore everything we love about the culture, the science, the history, the backstories, the delicious dishes and righteous recipes, the food pros and the decadent tastes. I'm all about the deeper meanings that come together every time people sit down to enjoy a meal. And this is a place for people who love to eat. So it's my goal to make your dishes and your cocktails and your wine pours come alive with flavor. I talk food and health, wellness, wine, cocktails, travel trends, and more to fuel your hunger and to satiate your appetite. So stay tuned because I am about to feed your soul. Now, if you happen to have missed a show, you can find podcasts on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Apple Music under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen and my website at chefjamie.com. I hope will make you a better cook. And I do hope that you'll follow me on social at Chef Jamie Gwen on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, oh, and threads too. And with that said, let's dig into summer, shall we? I always kick off the show with a tutorial of sorts I have for 20 years now, one that allows you to focus on oftentimes a single subject, right? To master a method or to dig deeper into a dish that you are truly in love with. And I think it's time. I think it's time for gazpacho, that is, because when it gets really warm during the summer, gazpacho feels right. And I happen to have a love affair with gazpacho. Maybe it's because I was raised on it. My mom makes really delicious gazpacho. She is in the chunky camp, by the way, and we'll talk about chunky smooth and everything in between. I do love gazpacho because it's super simple to make and it stores well in the fridge and because you eat it cold, right? It's a great go-to. I also think it's a blank slate for a palette of flavors. So if you top it with smoked paprika, grilled shrimp, or brioche croutons, or a spoonful of burrata and a drizzle of olive oil, you have a whole meal. I mean, what's not to love? Now, gazpacho is the soup for cooks who don't like recipes, by the way. The cold Spanish classic, traditionally made with ripe tomatoes, is very adaptable, and it just screams summer. The base of a great gazpacho starts with epic tomatoes. And because the preparation is raw, there is no hiding a substandard specimen. And that's why I think of gazpacho when I think of the summer, because I think of bright, beautiful, red throughout summer tomatoes. Now you could do it with heirloom year round. And there are some great cooks that make a gazpacho with canned San Marzano Italian tomatoes, and it's delicious, but juicy tomatoes are an ideal tried and true base. Some recipes call for tomato juice as well. I'm fine with that. 
Now, there are accents in a gazpacho, as I like to call them. Maybe soft herbs like basil, mint, parsley, cilantro, I think all are welcome. Some people like to spice it up and add a fresh or dried chili, uh, garlic, definitely. How much you add, that's up to you. And an acidic element is, even on top of the acid from the tomatoes, I think essential because it brightens the soup. So sherry wine vinegar is my go-to staying in Spanish style, but other vinegars work as well. And I've seen lime juice and more. And then a splash of hot sauce often added. I think it elevates the flavor. Now the texture for gazpacho, as with peanut butter, uh, has two camps, right? There's the chunky gazpacho lovers and the smooth gazpacho lovers. And if you like texture and chunk, a food processor works really well. My mom, as I mentioned, has always made chunky gazpacho. Like she does it by hand and purees the base, but then adds all of the texture from beautifully diced vegetables. I'm actually, and I don't mean to sit on the fence, but I'm actually a both gazpacho, creamy or rather smooth or chunky kind of girl. I think it just depends on what time you have and what you're in the mood for. I actually do use my blender for the job when it comes to the base soup. And then if I want a chunky garnish, I'll throw it in. And if I want something smooth and sippable, I'll run it longer. Now, for a thicker soup, like a thicker base, you add either shards of rustic bread, uh, by the way, no crust, um, like the inside of um, your favorite rustic country bread, or I wouldn't use anything too buttery like brioche. You could use a French baguette or um, a great big, you know, rustic loaf. And if you'd like an alternative to bread or carbs or a gluten-free approach, a handful of raw almonds added to the blender uh, will, excuse me, definitely add richness. Now, I think everything is better with a garnish. It's true. And while the purists opt for nothing but chilled tomato goodness, I like toppings, baby. So a spoonful of ricotta, a crumble of goat cheese, garlicky croutons, slices of Prosciutto, crispy prosciutto, shattered over the top. Yes. Um, Steamed clams, just a few in the bowl or a crab claw. All of that sounds delicious, right? And that's what makes gazpacho your style. Now, as for the white gazpacho, the Andalusian, that too is a classic. And I think it's lovely during the summer. It is bread based, not thickened with, but rather based with. Uh, It's cold water and slivered almonds in the base as well, garlic, olive oil, and you blend it all with reckless abandon until it is crazy smooth and fabulous. And then the traditional garnish is usually um, red grapes, or during the summer, I like to do little cubes of watermelon. Oh, it's so good. Now, you will find a bevy of variations of gazpacho on my website at chefjamie.com, C-H-E-F-J-A-M-I-E.com. And I'd love to know how you make your gazpacho, so please email me because I love to dish. Jamie at chefjamie.com. All right. This is an important message, so please listen up because it is time for food news this week. In 2014, the vision of Valerie Jensen came alive It was her passion, her lifelong work 
project. And it was all about her sister who has Down syndrome. And Val, as they call her, uh, in Ridgefield, Connecticut, drove past a movie theater in this old, fabulous, beautiful, historical building that was about to be uh, knocked down, from what I understand. And she kept it alive. Well, she opened Prospector Theater. And with her sister at heart, she employs adults with disabilities. Now, in that time since 2014, 765,000 movie tickets have been sold. 300 plus employees, those are adults with disabilities, have been employed. And $18 million has been run in payroll. Because 80% of people with disabilities do not have a job, but that is not true at the Prospector Theater. So please note this. Prospector Theater is now packaging their own Prospector popcorn, and it is being created by those extraordinary people who have abilities, or rather disabilities. They make darn good popcorn, let me tell you, and it has created even dozens of more jobs. They make Belgian, Belgian chocolate truffle. Uh, they make key lime popcorn. There's a tropical pineapple and it is so delicious. It's chocolate coated, chock full of flavor. It's fabulous. Please look for it wherever it is you live or go to the website at prospectorpopcorn.org. Prospectorpopcorn.org. Now that is the way to eat and give back. Kudos to them. All right. If you love Broadway, well, then let me tell you, (laughs) I love a musical and oh, I love a cocktail. So um, let's celebrate, shall we? Because the professor is here. Larry Maslin, New York University's Tisch School of Arts and the author of All Drink to That is celebrating Broadway legends. So grab a glass and come on back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio with lots more fabulous food and drink right after this. And welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I'd like to propose a toast to Broadway. We're mixing up some cocktails inspired by the most iconic shows from Broadway. A really beautiful, glorious new book that has recently released. It's an homage to Broadway filled with extraordinary photos and history, stories and legends of the greatest shows that have graced New York's Broadway, of course. And it is filled with cocktail inspiration. It's called I'll Drink to That. Broadway cocktails, Broadway's legendary stars, classic shows, and the cocktails they inspired. It is written 
by a gentleman with quite an extraordinary background in the arts. He is a professor at New York's University Tisch School of the Arts, as well as an associate chair of the graduate acting program. He is Larry Maslon. He is also the host of his own weekly radio series entitled Broadway to Main Street on NPR. And he has a long and illustrious history on the nominating committee for the Tony Awards, having written for the New York Times, The Post, The New Yorker, and more. From what I understand, he is an extraordinary guy, but he mixes a mean drink. And so therefore, he has a welcome invitation to this show. I am delighted to have you here, Larry, and I thank you for sitting down to dish with us. Oh, gosh, what a privilege. (laughs) Well, thank you Um, kindly. I have a question for you before we start. Oh, you do? Yes. What was your first Broadway show? My first Broadway show, I, I, if I remember correctly, and I will reinforce with my mom, I believe was Cats. Oh, that's a good one. It was a really good one. And then I have very glorious memories of Wicked Three Times and Phantom and um, incredible shows. Bernadette Peters uh, on the stage in... Oh, Gypsy, probably. In Gypsy, and then most recently in, was it My Fair Lady? It might have been. And I have uh, had the privilege of Hamilton and so many others, but reading your book, and I have to tell you, I've done it cover to cover, was just the most fascinating, exciting, historical knowledge that I have uh, obtained from what I never knew about Broadway. I mean, it's fabulous. Kudos to you. Well, thank you. Yeah. Tell us how it came to be. Well, I'm a New Yorker. (laughs) I love the theater. I love Broadway. And uh, I am an amateur mixologist. And uh, obviously, if you go to theater in New York, you go to one of the many bars in the theater district, Sardis, Joe Allen's, Mm. uh, Bond 45. And I looked around one day and I sort of went, hmm. There are cocktail books about everything, but I don't think there's a Broadway cocktail book. And sure enough, there wasn't. So Mm. I went to my editor and I said, why don't we do one? (laughs) And she said, let's mix it up. And we did. (laughs) I love that. And the book is kind of unique because it really works on two levels. One is a history of booze on Broadway, shows that use alcohol in different ways, either champagne toast or set in bars or, or nightclubs, as many shows are. Um, and then the other thing is 30 unique recipes to this book, which tie into some show or another, and the photographs were shot by Joan Marcus, who's the leading theatrical photographer on Broadway yes. at Sardis. I, so I read that. I've, I love Sardis. I've been many a time, and I believe that many an opening night party has been held at Sardis over the years, right? Well, Sardis is almost like two years shy of being 100 years old, wow. and it's become a tradition that Certainly in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and 70s, if you had a Broadway opening, you went to Sardi's, mm-hmm. and the stars would walk in, and if they got a good review in the paper, they would get a standing ovation. Wow. Um, and it also has two wonderful bars in it. I mean, if your listeners ever get a chance to go to New York, the bars alone at Sardi's yes. are a real New York tradition. So, of course, Fabulous. you had to shoot the book there. Yeah, of course. And the photographs, by the way, of the cocktails themselves are just beautiful. 
And the photographs in the book of the Broadway shows that we all know and love. And as I said, the history is just extraordinary. Tell us a Broadway champagne story, would you? Because I was fascinated to realize that there is... um, (laughs) There is a tradition of alcohol in a Broadway show. Uh, You see it. It's alluded to. It's used to celebrate the show. I mean, it's in every aspect. Sure. I mean, there's that famous song from Gigi, The Night They Invented Champagne. Yes. uh, Which has appeared on Broadway twice. And the Philadelphia story, Catherine Hepburn, famously, her character Tracy Lord falls off her lofty pedestal by drinking too much champagne on her way uh, the night before she gets married so you know it's baked into a lot of shows uh and certainly you know everybody who's listening who's ever even you know had a walk on in a community theater i'm sure opening night people open a bottle of champagne backstage so it's very much an offstage event and an onstage event and part of the the fun I think we bring in the book is I think you might I'd be curious to know what you think as an Epicurean. Yes. Um, people tend not to mess with champagne, and I think that's a mistake. I mean, I don't know that I would make a cocktail out of Veuve Clicquot, Veuve Clicquot 1898, but, no. you know, Prosecco or any kind of um, sparkling wine with, can be really enhanced by adding some stuff to make it a really fun cocktail. Oh, I agree with you entirely. I'll tell you, the effervescence of, and it doesn't have to be French champagne, like you said, whether it's a Prosecco or a Cava, there's really a beautiful finish to a cocktail that's been finished with champagne or bubbly per se. Yeah. And I, and I do love that just sort of the, the dance in your mouth and the fact that it adds a, a lightness and a freshness and an effervescence again with the bubbles. I think it's a beautiful mixer per se. Um, I love, I'm going to take a step back. I yep. read through your introduction a couple of times, and I love the analogy that a cocktail is like a Broadway show, you say. And you bet. Yes, there, there's something just beautiful about that, if you would explain. Well, again, as you know extremely well, in food and wine, like the whole should be, fingers crossed, greater than the sum of its parts. And a Broadway musical is very much, a Broadway show is very much in the same way. You've got actors, directors, choreographers sets, lyrics, what orchestra, whatever it is, and as Richard Rogers once said, in a perfect show, the orchestra should sound the way the costumes look. Hmm. So it's all of a piece. It's <laughs> blended together. It's in the right proportion. It's, yes. it's Everything is enhancing. Every element is enhancing the other element. It's not detracting or, or overcompensating, and I think a cocktail is exactly the same. I have to and, agree. And, um, you know, cocktails are are like recipes, right? They're, they're trial and error. And you know what? Uh, my first advice to anybody who would use any of the recipes in this book is try it once. If you don't like it, add a little more of something else next time and add a little less of something next time. <laughs> right. I don't want to be doctrinaire about these things. No, and, ma- and make it your own. I love that because right. I think a cocktail is very signature. It's very personal, right? My old-fashioned is probably quite different than yours, but it's, it's catered to my palate, right? It's what pleases right. me. Okay, Larry, you've made me thirsty. We need to take a quick break. When we come back, we are celebrating the most iconic shows from Broadway with cocktail inspiration. Cheers to that, right? The book is called I'll Drink to That, and there's more Broadway cocktails right after this. 
just tuned in, you're late. Uh, one of the leading musical theater historians, Larry Maslon, is here. And we are sharing all drink to that. For anyone you know that loves Broadway, appreciates theater, mixes up a mean cocktail, this is a book you must have. It is uh, definitely a, co- a cocktail cookbook, a cocktail book per se, but a coffee table one at that with just extraordinary stories and history to the beauty that is Broadway, all the classic shows and the clock cocktails that they inspired. Um, Larry, share insight about Hamilton and the association to rum, would you? Well, uh, Hamilton, which we all know is the biggest megahead of the last 10 years, yeah. um, literally takes its roots in rum, or certainly in sugarcane, because Alexander Hamilton, the guy, mm-hmm. the, the historical figure, uh, grew up in the Caribbean mm-hmm. um, on an island that produced sugarcane and, and was part of that entire uh, what they call the triangle trade, molasses to rum, to unfortunately slave trading. But when he came to New York initially, he worked um, in a tariff office uh, that sort of mediated all the molasses that came into New York that was later turned into rum in distilleries in New England. So, um, you know, there are lots of toasts in Hamilton, right? There's a wedding, there's a guy hanging around in the tavern. Yes. But the whole... Uh, uh, bloodline of Hamilton is really baked into the whole idea of rum hmm. as a uh, major fixture of, of of commerce in the 18th century. Yeah, re- really an amazing association. I loved the Hamilton shot recipe that you well, share in the book. I, I love a coffee liqueur, and there are many on the market, um, and I happen to splash some into my coffee once in a while, n- not on uh-huh. a work day. Uh, but right. I'll tell you, the idea of a shot of dark coffee liqueur and rum and a demerara sugar rim uh, just sounds luscious. Well, demerara sugar, of course, also comes from the West Indies, yes. so just like Hamilton did. So right. when possible, I tried to put in ingredients that, you know, you know at least with a wink, uh, acknowledge mm-hmm. the roots of the show they're from. Yeah, very, very well done. Um, defying Gravity. Who doesn't love a great green drink inspired by Wicked? One of my favorite shows, I have to tell you, I, because I know all the words and can sing along. Uh-huh. Yes. Well, you know, green, I'm a little bit on the fence about green cocktails, I have to say. I think I make a point in a couple of them that when you use creme de menthe, which um, I do for the vodka stinger, yes. I think clear creme de menthe sort of looks better and tastes better because... Huh. I always thought when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I think my dad let me have some creme de malt at a restaurant. And it and it looked to me like the stuff that Dr. Jekyll takes to turn into Mr. Hyde. <laughs> it's very Dr. Um, Seuss, no doubt. <laughs> yes. So uh, in the Defying Gravity cocktail, of course, in Wicked, what's it got to be? It's got to be green, uh, and it's got to be the right hue. I like so it. So that cocktail, I use chartreuse and um, a little bit of mint bitters just to get the right color. Yeah, really nice. Can, can we to touch on bitters? It. To greenify it. We touch on yeah. bitters for a minute? Because it sure. used to be there was one kind of bitters. And today yep. you can buy a bevy of bitters. I use both traditional bitters and orange bitters in my old-fashioned. Um, but it's amazing to me the flavor varietals that you can get your hands on. Yeah, I don't know where it is elsewhere in the country. But New York State about four years ago changed a law in its liquor stores that allowed you to buy bitters in liquor stores. You could only buy them in um, supermarkets if you oh. could even find them. Interesting. Um, and I remember 
a particular um, uh, a favorite uh, edition of mine is Peso Bitters from that could only be made and only bought in New Orleans for a while. Mm. And now here in New York, at any rate, every Korean grocery has them, which is great. Fabulous. So the flavors of bitters, that's something that listeners might try out is buy a couple. There's cardamom bitters, yes. there's, which I love. Chocolate mole bitters, mm. which I love. And they, they, your drink isn't going to taste like that the way it would be like. They're not syrups. They're little soupçons, you know, they're little accent marks on your cocktail. So go and experiment. Go out and buy a couple. You can buy them anywhere now. Yeah, no, I do, I do love that inspiration. Um, all right, before I let you go, um, what is your, I know this is like asking your favorite child. That's why I only have one child, Larry. Um, <laughs> your, so your go-to cocktail. Or what is tonight's cocktail? Um, well, what's your first my, choice? Well, um, uh, if my wife and I are having like a nice meal, I might go to some kind of a margarita, sometimes a tuxedo. But by far and away, my personal favorite is the Sazerac. Yes. Um, and that's a New Orleans drink. It's actually very easy to make. Um, it requires a little absinthe and sugar and a good rye. But... Um, Maybe one of the reasons I like it so much, it figures very prominently in Act 3 of a play called State of the Union, hmm. written, by, uh, uh, um, Russell, um, uh, written by Russell Krauss that was the basis for a movie, State of the Union, that Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy were in with Angela Lansbury. Wow. Maybe people have seen that in the 40s. And this takes place in Washington with all these powerful people, and there's one woman, Lula Bell, comes up and she's married to a congressman and she says, I want a Sazerac. And um, she tells him how to make it. It's the only play I know that has an actual drink recipe in the text of the play. How cool. Maybe that's what sold me on a Sazerac. But it's a beautiful drink. It's tasty. It's filling. It's uh, so many different flavors going on. And they all work together beautifully. Yes, definitely so. I I happen to love a Sazerac as well. And there's something classic and beautiful about it. Uh, and I, I very much appreciate that choice. So, um, best show right now on Bo- on Broadway? Wow, um, that's a good question. Um, I'm trying to think. I actually like Shucked, um, hmm. and uh, it, it did okay in the Tonys. I really enjoyed it from start to finish. Everybody loves it. They have a great time. Yes. It's like Broadway musicals used to be in the 60s and 70s. It's just fun. Fun. So yeah. I had a great time at that, and I was mm-hmm. asked by Playbill Magazine to come up with a shucked cocktail. So oh, I love that. Oh, we'll, that. please come back and share it. How great. I sure will. Oh, terrific. I sure will. Um, I'll share mine, if you don't mind. Um, but sure. I recently saw six. Uh-huh. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, um, but the Tudor Queens, of course, um, the, the remix of History, um, I thought was just absolutely fabulous i have to tell you and there's something yeah it it is a great time um uh, the six wives of henry the eighth and very modern and just so empowering and fierce and fabulous and i wonder if it and from your if you put your professor hat on for us i wonder from that if this is a trend we will continue to see and one selfishly i loved but there is no intermission in that show it runs an hour and 20 minutes straight and i have to tell you it was the most delightful way to see a theater production. Yeah, I think, I think that will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan, though, historically, of the great musicals. 
uh, like Carousel or Fiddler on the Roof that had great Act One curtains. They had really monumental events that happened, yes. and the curtain would come down, and you'd go, oh, I can't <laughs> wait to come back for Act Two. So I, that's that's sort of, for me, baked into I the... I respect uh, that, of course. Of the musical. Of course, yeah. I very like, look much at respect one, that. Look at the end of Act One of Wicked, right? Right, oh, you're waiting with bated breath as yep. the line forms at the ladies' room. Well, as she flies up into the air, I mean, <laughs> my God, what a thing to see. Yeah, it's quite know? fabulous, no doubt. Thank you for celebrating Broadway, not only in this beautiful book, um, but here on the show. I truly appreciate it. Um, The first of its kind, craft cocktail recipes inspired by the classics of the American stage, a celebration of theatrical tradition, a souvenir of magic moments, all compiled in this really beautiful book that celebrates Broadway. It is entitled, I'll Drink to That, Broadway's Legendary Stars, Classic Shows, and the Cocktails They Inspired. Written by professor at New York University's Tisch School of the Arts, he is Larry Maslon, and you'll see him as Lawrence Maslon on the book, um, with beautiful photography from Joan Marcus. Uh, This is for every theater lover and cocktail lover, and I think that covers just about Everyone. The book is available. That's a good Venn diagram. <laughs> yes. Um, the book is available wherever fine books are sold and on Amazon uh, on its way to bestseller for sure. And it shouldn't be missed. Once again, the book entitled I'll Drink to That. And cheers to you, Larry. Thank you for the time, Professor. Thank you for sharing your passion. Thanks for having me. It was a delight. As the delicious conversation continues on this show, it is my goal to do everything to feed your soul. And so we talk food and wine and cocktails and trends and travel and theater and more. And you should grab a snack and come on back because there's lots more fabulous food in some form right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. This is a place for people that love to eat. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Not only are s'mores a perennial favorite, they are trending, popping up on menus everywhere. The new cookbook, S'mores, Gooey, Melty, Crunchy Riffs on the Campfire Classic, offers 50 mouth-watering recipes redefining what a s'more is. Author Dan Whalen proves that the s'more goes way beyond the campfire. Every recipe in his book is a stacked sandwich, but the flavors and the ingredients are full of surprises. Dan Whalen is the culinary mad genius creator of the popular recipe blog, The Food in My Beard, and he's here to dish. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. Great time of year to talk about s'mores. Yes. I think you believe every 
any all times of year <laughs> are good to talk about s'mores. Is is that true? Yeah, definitely. But I'm I'm doing my first uh, camping trip of the year, leaving in a few days. So nice. Uh, I'm I'm ready to bring this book and just. Uh, roast a million marshmallows. I, I like that plan. Um, what is it about s'mores that inspired you to dedicate a cookbook to it? Well, I just love the nostalgia. There's not really many foods where you can think back to like where you were when you ate it hmm. and who you were with and how your feet felt in the grass and how the fire felt um, in front of you. I really think like I can remember like eight different times that I ate s'mores in my life and I there's not no other food that is like that. So I wanted to really approach it with that sort of that sort of mindset but then take the recipes to like all sorts of different crazy directions. Yeah, you really did. You elevated, which I love, but you just made me nostalgic. I mean, it does make you remember conjure up those uh childhood warm you know, lovely memories of when you roasted s'mores or when you were first introduced to the marshmallow and the absolute beautiful epiphany of it. What is the history of the s'more before we get into the recipes, please? Because the s'more has been around a pretty long time, right? Yeah. So the first uh, actual recipe of the s'more as we know it today was uh, published in a Girl Scout magazine from 1925. Wow. But the... ingredients that go into a s'more uh, have been around, I mean, pretty much forever. Like the ancient Egyptians are the first people to start messing around with marshmallow. And, you know, the Aztecs and Incas had had their chocolate in South America. So like these are things that have existed forever, but they were only put together in this way, you know, 100 years or so ago uh, by the Girl Scouts. Right, the culinary genius of combining all of these fabulous flavors. Could you school us on marshmallow cooking to start, please? Because you talk about in the book four main methods for cooking marshmallows, and there is an art to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, it's funny, I really like to kind of focus on the psyche of like the people who like to have it barely brown and the people who like to have it super like burnt. Almost burnt, (laughs) um, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, there's four different ways that I focus on uh, in the book. So I really, it, I wrote the recipes around using your broiler and your oven uh, because I wanted it to be accessible. I wanted it to be year round and I wanted it to, to be sort of uniform. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mentioned, I probably did it the most on top of my gas stove uh, because that's the easiest way to do one single marshmallow. And uh, also I used a, um, a butane torch a lot. Uh, and of course, the the fire is uh, the open fire is the the best way, the preferred way. Yes, yeah. And then you talk about um, using your broiler, and with any method, I think it's all about timing, right? I mean, it's really about watching and turning and focusing on getting that even caramelization. I am, by the way, just so we can better get to know one another, I am the very toasty marshmallow kind of person, but not to the burnt black state. Yeah, I think I'm the same way. I think most like most food people probably are that way because that's obviously the correct way. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Or so we think, right? Of course. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's dig in. 
I love the idea of your salted caramel as an addition to the classic as well. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a lot of people's starting place for um, the world of salty sweet. Mm-hmm. And that's 100% my favorite type of recipes, which you probably can tell if you flip through this thing y- at all. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I did a lot of the salty sweet stuff and... Um, you know, that's probably the, that's like the, the beginning to a whole new world. <laughs> yeah, th- that's definitely uh, th- uh, growing the the s'mores passion. Um, it's brilliantly unconventional. Um, and the book is just so much fun. Congratulations to you and truly inspired. Dan Whalen is putting oh, the, so of course, putting the more in s'mores. He's the mad genius behind Uh, a ton of really insightful and fabulously uh, delicious food-loving books. And so that you can enjoy your s'mores all year long, every recipe is designed to be made in the broiler as well as over a campfire. The book is called S'mores, Gooey, Melty, Crunchy Riffs on the Campfire Classic. It is written by Dan Whalen, and it is available on Amazon and in fine bookstores everywhere. Uh, Cheers to s'mores all throughout the summer, Dan. Thank you uh, again for uh, sharing the sweet side. Thank you. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. I hope that you found it fun and festive, and I hope that it brought you some sort of inspiration. I do hope that you'll tune in next weekend when there's lots more to sip and savor, of course, but don't go yet, please. Let me leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation for the hour. So if you know me, you know I'm a girl at the grill and I believe you can grill just about anything. But have you ever grilled popcorn? I know, sounds crazy. It's sort of like campfire nights that you remember, just no tent, which is good for me. (laughs) Popcorn is actually a natural for the grill. It's really a fun way to reminisce about good old days. So buy yourself some disposable pie pans, you know, the aluminum disposable type, and put a tablespoon of vegetable oil in the bottom and a quarter cup of popcorn kernels. And then seal the disposable pie pan in aluminum foil with a dome shape on top. You remember what that looked like. It had a handle. You did it on top of the stove. But it's 2023. So fire up your barbecue. Make that foil dome shape. If you need two sheets of foil to cover, that's good. And seal the edges well. Then grill the popcorn over high heat using your tongs to shake the pan until the popping stops. It should take about six, seven minutes at most. Then season with your favorite seasoning salt. I hope that I see you here next weekend for another moment of culinary nirvana. Until then, I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I hope you continue to eat well. (laughs) 